Lily and Jack enjoy their date, but things take a turn for the worse when they return to the tea room. They find the place ransacked and the owner, Mrs. Potts, brutally murdered. Lily Hello, realizes that her drugs are gone and that someone is after her. She I'm suspects that Jack Stephen is involved, Hi, but he denies any Hello, knowledge Glenn. of the crime. Uh, how are you? He convinces I'm her to trust him and to yourself. stay with him at yeah. his nearby oh, cottage until they figure out what's going on. At the moment. It should be autumn by now, I think, but it still thinks it's summer. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know how to feel about that. Uh, so, Stephen, apart from uh, doing the comedy, what else do you do? I work for the NHS on the... Oh, no, sorry. no, the pandemic pandemic's over. Oh, okay, sorry, sorry. No, no, I only do it for money. I didn't do it for applause. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Currently working in a uh, patient referral service. Outside of that, it is pretty much just comedy. Bizarrely enough, we had a comedian doing the podcast who also does that for his job. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know if you've come across Emmanuel, Paul. Uh, I know Emmanuel, and I know he works for the NHS, but we haven't worked in the same department ever. That being said, there was another person that used to do comedy that we actually did used to work in the same hospital, <laughs> which would have been Laura Thomas, who runs the Sex Standing Up Nights. Okay. She used to be a biomed uh, when I was a medical lab assistant uh, in Frimley. And then there's been various, when I've done teaching assistant roles, two people who have worked in comedy. I think you have to have a gallows humour to be in the medical profession or around that all the time, because if you can't laugh in the face of horror, then you don't really survive in a situation like that, I'd imagine. Or is that the rare case? Mm-hmm. Most people are very serious in, in hospitals, as they should be. I mean, I've, I've met plenty of people that have worked in labs that are about as cheerful as the grave. <laughs> Most people are sort of good-spirited, and um, I've met a lot of people with a decent sense of humour. I've also just met a lot of people that are a bit... I mean, I suppose that the NHS is a big enough organisation, it's a lot like life, right? It's like yeah. star signs. Just because somebody works for the NHS, it doesn't negate all of their other personality. It's not like, here's one of the 12 professions, there's your assigned personality type. I'm being reductionist yeah. early in the evening, Stephen. I'm going to stop this line of questioning. For shame. Remind myself for shame. that this is a film and AI podcast and ask... What sort of films do you like or what sort of films do you hate? We'll see how well the prompts are going to treat you this evening. Generally, um... <coughs> disease films you hate or you love? Sorry, that was just the, the cough there. <coughs> no, I'm not a big fan of plague films. <laughs> Fantasy films have been, and sci-fi have been sort of the bread and butter, as long as with a lot of comedy films. Monty Python was a huge influence in me to become a comedian. Yeah. So, again, a lot of comedy films of various eras have been a huge sort of enjoyment that's that that's my jam as well i'm a big sci-fi comedy fantasy nerd essentially i mean again that doesn't necessarily reduce it to like i do like a lot of different films from a lot of different genres that being said some genres i'm not particularly keen on never going to be really particularly interested in a lot of romantic films Mm -hmm. Or um, certain Oscar bait type films would be quite annoying okay. to me. With the prompts this evening, I think it's somewhere between the two. There's certainly bits in this that you can lean in a science fiction fantasy direction if you want. Mm. It's definitely not It's not Oscar bait clickworthy. Oh, I'll make it Oscar bait worthy. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then uh, the other genre I'm not very keen on is a lot of supernatural horror. Oh, dear. Uh, keyword, supernatural horror. Okay. Uh, put in a human just murdering people. So like. that there's not a sci-fi fantasy crossover into horror for you then? Like, you're not... You're not a fan of the, the Freddy and the, the more imaginative slasher movies. I've never really got into Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, uh, I'm familiar with the tropes. I'm familiar with the films. I just never got round to watching them. All right, um, fair enough. Um, so is there a film that you would recommend that not enough people had seen? Yeah, Paprika. It's an anime. Oh, yes. It's the one that was a huge influence on Inception. And to me, it is what Inception should have been more like in the sense of what dreams were like, though you have to then remember that the imagination and dreamscape they were going in Inception was some kind of corporate banker person. So, of course, their imagination was boring. I saw that on Netflix. I I nearly watched that last night, but I was flicking through. You will not believe what I watched by accident instead. Inception. No, Inseminoid. (laughs) Okay. Inseminoid. It's an Italian film dubbed into English where uh, it's like a rip-off of Alien, but very uh, sexist and very bad. You got me excited, like, Inseminoid, so is that like the Italian version of Inception, but they've got the... No. Nope, nope. No, no, no se- sexually transmitted alien possession movie from the early 80s. Yeah, that, that's going to be problematic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, the reason... The first of your prompts is this, so I apologise, but... Uh, the film genre is a slasher movie. Nope. Uh, so it doesn't have to be supernatural, okay? Yep. The setting or the location is going to be a Devon tea room, which is a little bit more Oscar baity. The profession is drug dealer. Right. The set piece is a romantic date. So you don't like rom-coms. Unfortunately, they've slipped into one of your things. A big date section has to happen at some point in the movie. And the random object that has to play a key part in the plot is a pair of cheerleaders' pom-poms. Right. Okay. If it's difficult for you, it's also difficult for the AI. That's good. (laughs) Don't worry. We'll take it easy. We'll take it slow with the first section which is the setup. Right. Who who would you like your main character to be? I think it should be about early 30s male character. Sure. I think he should be the drug dealer. Okay. He's a recovering so he's witness protection. Okay. Program sort of he's that's why he's in Devon because why else would he be in Devon? So we've got like an opening thing his caseworker drops him off, right? Where he's sort of like, okay. Oh, we're months ahead. He's already been in Devon for like three months. Okay. At this point. Is this backstory that's revealed later or how do we find this this out? We, so this is what I'm saying. The, the situation that's normal, maybe this is stuff that's revealed later. But what what is his day-to-day then in his Devon life? Uh, he's probably working actually in the Devon tea room. Okay. Um. So his, I think he's washing... The plates and cups and crap. He's... So we're here as an audience. We have this lovely lush shot. We go down this quaint little Devon High Street in a little Devonshire village. There's this tea room. Does the tea room have a name? The flowery bed. Come and scone. Yep, that'll okay. do. 
come and the, flower, the flowery bed tea shop. Yep, and come and scum is the rival one on the opposite, exact opposite side of the street. Okay, so we have our, our warring tea shops in Devon. So he's yep. he's in there. Are we tipped off as an audience that he is in witness protection? Like, is he working there and his handler comes to I check up I think it's on done him? as sort of a Quentin Tarantino fashion of he's getting flashbacks as various points in the scene. So okay. it's like... A, he's washing up a cup yeah. of tea and then we match shot with him in a mortar and pestle grinding up, you know, um, yeah. pills to cut the cocaine yeah. or whatever it was. You know, he's like weighing out tea into the, the things and then we sort of see a match cut that he's weighing it onto scale yeah. and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, it's sort of like a hot fuzz fashion as well. So, okay, right. So we, we have that. Um, so his normal world, is he's, he's there, he's haunted by his past. Are there any other characters we have early on? Is there somebody that he works with that he likes or is there somebody who's attractive to him who works in the rival tea shop across the way so yes there is a attractive lady in the opposite tea shop okay and then obviously the person that he's working under is this lovely sweet old lady uh with a husband that's just constantly in the tea shop anyway just reading a paper sort of you know the one that's like Harold, called Harold, falling asleep. She's called like Beatrice, and we'll call the uh, okay the attractive lady Siri. Hates Apple products for a reason. Like, are we going to give him a cute name? Are we going to call him Alex, and then his surname begins with A? I think he's more of a Desmond. Only because then it would be Alex R and Siri. That would that would. Oh, I wasn't going for like some clever <laughs> joke. I just felt like he was a Desmond. <laughs> He's a Desmond. That's fine. So we've got Desmond, Siri, old Harold. We've got um, Beatrice and and Harold. Okay, and she's lovely, lovely and sweet. Apart from when it comes to Siri, she's absolutely mm. venomous towards her because she loves everybody and everything apart from this yeah. rival tea shop across the way. Because it'd be quite funny to see an old woman who's all sweetness at light and then just spits. It's because she's a huge Apple product fan. Beatrice, like, she's just called Siri. It's not related. Like, she was named Siri long before the product existed. She rubs it in a little bit. She's got a little Apple Pay sticker right at the window of the tea shop to uh, to annoy Siri across the way. As for the protection officer, I would say... I like the actor who was the friend in Get Out because he was like airport security. I wanted to say Del Boy, and then I thought, no, that's I mean, only he can be called Del Boy. Lil Ray yeah. Howry. Lil Rel Howry. No, it wasn't Del at all. It was Rel. Is our lead an American? If uh, Lil Rel, Lil Rel is um, coming over as well, it's not necessarily witness protection, but maybe no, try to get out from the American thing. Just because then I guess you can cast an American actor as your lead if you want one. No, it's uh, it's little Rel doing a very bad Devonian accent on purpose. Okay. In the film. So All right. it's, he's trying. You could have had Daniel Kalua, who is an English person who was playing an American in Get Out, but actually you're going for Lil Rel doing his I'm, Mockney English accent. I'm going for the reverse Uno there. Okay. Because we see plenty of Brits trying to be American, as we see plenty of Americans trying to be Brits. Let's do a little quick casting call, so I've got them in my mind. We've got Lil Rel as the caseworker, right? Are we going to mm. have, like, Judy Dench as B for your dream casting? Yeah. 
or Helen Mirren, something who's still a little bit of a, you know, aged crumpet? Uh, I was thinking of um, Maggie Smith. Okay, yeah. Scottish accent and everything still. Just because she's in Devon doesn't mean she can't be Scottish. As for the older fella, Michael Gambon. Let's let's just raid the Harry Potter, you know, back catalogue for people. Drug dealer. Well, what type of person do you want? Is he a funny type? Is he a hard type? Is he an American playing a Brit? No, no, I think it's a Timothy Chalamet. Just as an American? Or doing a British accent? Actually, hmm. I think Chalamet has the range. I have more faith in Chalamet than I do in Lil Ray. But he spent a lot of time with Daniel Kaluuya. He might have picked up the accent. I feel like we're going with an in Bruges direction with all this. So I feel like we should be in Colin Farrell. All right. Have Colin Farrell. He can be slightly older. I think, yeah. I mean, do you want 30s, Brendan 40s. Gleeson as um, Harold? Swap, swap Gambon out? Do the whole in no, Bruges? No, no, we're keeping... The... The bride, the uh, the banshees of Innocent and all that sort of stuff. Nah, 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 nah. We're keeping <laughs> Michael Gambon for this. Nah, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah, Gleason. This is not in Bruges. Um, I mean, you could bring the ble- bring you could bring the franchises together, and you know, carve uh, Ray Fines in a part later. So there you go. <laughs> As for Siri, mm, that's a difficult one. I'm going to go with Florence Pugh because she's in everything now. Yeah, I can imagine her doing a Devon accent quite convincing. Just, yeah, she's in everything now, so it's Florence Pugh. Why not Why not be in this? All right, so this is our, our normal world. Does she like Chalamet? Are they making eyes at each other? Have they? Yeah. Because this is the normal world. Are they starting to date, but they have to keep it quiet from yeah. B? So it's not Chalamet she's making eyes at. We've... I've recast it to Colin Farrell. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, they're making eyes. They're obviously interested. I think they they need to go a date on some points, and obviously that causes Maggie Smith, Beatrice, to flip out. Obviously, also, like, uh, Harold Michael Gambon's reading a paper about a mysterious murder, which, flash forward uh, to... Well, it's fine, because we can deal with that in the complication i think we're, we're setting this up there's just one more thing i want to pin down for the setup all right i think mm. you alluded to it colin farrell what is his fatal flaw oh he's colin farrell uh beyond that he's colin farrell you said that he kept flashing back right mm. to his drug and is it maybe that he's stuck in the past he can't move on from his past life i think he's obviously suffering from it's not really paranoia if People could potentially actually be after you if you're in witness protection. But obviously he's a paranoid as hell. He feels that he can't escape his past. Yeah. I'm thinking if it is a slasher movie where we're going towards the end, if he can't escape his past, that gives us some some satisfying ways that we can go towards resolving that arc at the end. Oh, I have my plans on that one. Is there anything else that you want to put up in the, the, the setup before we go to the complication? Nope. Do you want to hear what the AI had for their setup? Yeah, I do. Not a million miles apart, but there's still some distinct differences. You thought you were really doing really well to get the, the Devon Tea Room and the drug dealer out of the way. They one up you and put the romantic date in as well. So, like I said, the AI tries to, to clear the board as quickly as possible. 
but with this one, we've got a female lead, and so she's she's trying to get out of the game. We've got our guy who is out of the game, uh, but can't seem to escape it. They haven't really uh, addressed the sort of a fatal flaw or anything, apart from the fact that she's a drug dealer, which I assume is a little bit flawed in the eyes of the AI. Um, what, how do you feel um, about their story so far? Sounds promising. Okay. I mean, there's not much difference yet for me to say. I mean, they haven't cast anyone else beyond the two. Like, we have entire three other people casted. Oh, well, I can ask the AI if they, they want to, to cast it later. I didn't at the time. That was just for us to get it clear in our minds, because sometimes I think it's easier to have a visual image. All right. Yeah. So that we've done the setup, let's move on to the next section, which is the complication. In this section, something happens that starts to um, move the, the, the plot forward. It upsets their normal world. So what complicates the happy tea shop rivalry of uh, Colin Farrell and Florence Pugh? So I'm going to say there's police investigations going on, which obviously puts him on edge because of his drug dealing past. Yeah. It's not related to drugs. Every few months there's a disappearance. So is this like an it thing where like every 23 years there are a, a spate of disappearances? More like 23 days or 23 weeks, I say, just because it's not a supernatural one. Okay. And we're going for slasher, not for killer clown so it's up to you whether you're going to weave in the background of him being a, a drug dealer like have you seen yeah. have you ever seen sexy beast that does not sound familiar at all so it's this film with ray winston and he basically does a bank job and then hides away in spain and ben kingsley comes to kill him and that's kind of like mm-hmm. this kind of thing almost done as a slasher movie where Ben Kingsley is terrifying in that film. Mm. So if you didn't want to do a supernatural route, are you complicating things too much by having this serial killer also being in this town and the caseworker coming? I didn't say who the serial killer was. All right, that's fine. You've got a plan. I'm not going to step in the way of the plan. Sexy Beast has already done that idea. I don't want you to do a poor copy of Sexy Beast. I don't want you to do an no, no. average-looking beast. A mediocre beast is not is not what I want you to do. I mean, I'm going to give spoilers. It's it's Florence Pugh. Florence okay. Pugh is the serial killer. That's absolutely fine, right? If she is the the serial killer, I guess that uh, that she can sense a darkness in our main character, right? And maybe that's what she is attracted to you know your vibe attracts your tribe so it's obviously uh sort of figuring out oh she's a serial killer that could actually be the complication yeah that is the complication okay that's the complication that all of these things are going on there's this police presence he's nervous about it because he's trying to escape his old life and so he starts Mm. um looking around to see if they're looking for him while he's looking around to see if he's in danger, he finds out that it's the 23rd day and Florence Pugh is killing someone. He sees her in the act, maybe. Tourists. Right. Somebody who's like a Karen in the tea room has sort of said, I asked for um, peanuts in this. I don't have a peanut allergy. 
I asked for jam on cream, not cream on jam. Right, exactly. As a proper Devon girl, that's just an absolute no-no, right? And so she she bides her time so that it can be on the 23rd day and she kills it. So what's his reaction to seeing her kill them? Does he go to help her? Is he shocked? Does he think, I'm? this is too much trouble? I'm just going to walk away. We can have the he- hero refusing the call. We've got higher stakes later on. So I would say at first he probably is actually quite... Maybe one, two murders. He's more oblivious about it. But it's the audience knows what's going on, sort of thing. Yeah. I'm going for zany romantic comedy slash slash if here. In a way, that sort of kind of makes sense. Because maybe he'd been insecure at the beginning. Because it's like... This girl, she's young, she's innocent, I'm much older than her, she would never look like me, we have nothing in common. Maybe this is the kind of thing that actually thinks, well, if she's a dirty serial killer, my old drug dealing, knocking on doors, cracking skulls lifestyle means that actually maybe we're similar people. Yeah, but obviously I think then at some point in the film when he realises, like, ah. I'm going to help, but obviously this starts sending his paranoia further. For the complication, maybe that will do it for that, because if if it's escalating, that's exactly what the higher stakes section, which is next, is for. Mm. I mean, you can add in some more details if you want to, or things like that, but I think he discovers that the innocent girl he had a crush on is actually a serial killer, is a complication, right? Mm. Mm. Yeah. Are you happy with that? Do you want to hear what the AI had for their complication? Oh yeah, I want to hear it. Lily and Jack enjoy their date, but things take a turn for the worse when they return to the tea room. They find the place ransacked and the owner, Mrs. Potts, brutally murdered. Lily realizes that her drugs are gone and that someone is after her. She suspects that Jack is involved, but he denies any knowledge of the crime. He convinces her to trust him and to stay with him at his nearby cottage until they figure out what's going on. That's a bit cliche, that. Well, I mean, I guess I asked it to do a slasher film, right? And so it is sticking to the cliché formula, right? We're doing sort of a behind the mask here where it's like uh, there are very few films from the serial killer's perspective. I think having a sort of a, a Bonnie and Clyde what was the Tarantino film that Stone directed? Natural Born Killers, right? With, I was uh, thinking it's more like Harold and Maud, but... yeah. Um, but that's oh, a fair... I mean, you can you can change Beatrice's name to Maud if you want a nod. <laughs> nah, uh, unless it's what did I call Colin first character again? Desmond. 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 That's right. Desmond Mort. Mort is yeah. death. My favourite Terry Pratchett book as well. Hmm. Let's move on to the next section, which I think we're coming naturally to anyway, and this is higher stakes. Higher stakes. So this is where our hero gets involved. He can no longer walk away. He's drawn into this. Mm. I mean, I think there's a fairly obvious way that he does get dragged into this. He's the one disposing the bodies. You might be saving this for later. I can tell you my idea if you want to, but if your yep. idea is good, I'll just shut up. No, no, you go, you go ahead. I was, I was going to go for more like a Sweeney Todd vibe, of which he's like, why don't we make use of the bodies and make scones yeah. and jam? <laughs> It's really meaty jam. They branch out into Cornish pasties. 
which obviously sends Beatrice even more angry because, like, this is a Devon tea room, not a Cornish. This is what I was going to say. Be, unless you want to set um, Beatrice up as the main antagonist later, I thought as there's a direct conflict, we've still got this gap of 23 days or whatever it is. But I would imagine that Beatrice would be Ciri's next victim. I feel. Because then mm. that involves Desmond, right? Yeah. Rather than panicking, maybe he then like shoots Harold to cover it up. I don't think Harold dies. I think he's just sort of like a meh, shrugs and just continues reading the paper. So he doesn't really sort of notice that his wife has gone. Harold is Harold. He's just there. Yeah. Like he's part of the furniture. It could be one of those things revealed later on. It's almost like one of those rolled dolls stories where actually Harold has just been stuffed Maud killed him years ago. Maud? Who's Maud? Beatrice, sorry. Beatrice. Oh, yeah. As you said, Harold, and I I, I thought Maud. And, and, sorry. Harold, Maud, and Beatrice Maud. Maud is their yes. surname. There we go. The Mauds. Harold's just oblivious. He's still reading his paper by the fire, as he does every day. The tea shop, Beatrice's tea shop, is now under new management and has turned into a Cornish pasty establishment which no longer competes with the Devon cream tea shop across the way. And these uh, delicious Cornish pasties are, are made with at least uh, 20% human evidence. Yep, 20% human. Locally sourced Cornish meat, or Devonshire meat. Yeah, locally sourced Devonian yeah. meat. At that point, it is definitely higher stakes. He's really involved with it. Their lives are locked together. Do we want to um, think about ticking off any of the other things? Do they have a date at this point? I think they would have already been dating at various points in the film. I mean, I know, but we have this sort of set piece of a romantic date. Can we have this sort of thing of, as we were doing the match cuts earlier, we set this up as like a very romantic, you know, the scene in Ghost where they're, like, making the pot together and it's meant to be sort of... Oh, so you mean, like, they're making Cornish pasties out of human remains, like... Yeah, so they're chopping up bodies, but, you know, as they're chopping up bodies, he brings the cleaver down, she goes in to pick up a section of leg, their hands touch. I was thinking thinking more like... They're um... covered in blood and then it's sort of essential swarfiga to get rid of all of the, the mud, the blood for them. Since you were going for the ghost angle, I was thinking more like uh, she's make, rolling the pastry and the meat and then he comes behind sort of Patrick Swayze fashion. I, I just thought it would be a funnier scene if that you, you try and turn body dismemberment into a... I mean, they're covered in blood. I mean, you know, you can have little bits of it that, you know, like... It's the contrast between sweet image of, oh, they're making pastry and they're covered in a lot of blood and you can see the remains and the you know where the remains are coming you can see a leg like on the table or a hand yeah it's a leg but it's sort of it's been stabbed and there's little sprigs of rosemary all the way throughout it yeah that made me feel quite ill actually good (laughs) to apologize i mean if you want to feel if you want to look at good human cooking uh (laughs) just watch the um hannibal lecter series uh which was the one with uh what's his name danish danish actor uh mads mickelson yeah, mad like he makes people look tasty. I can't remember where I found out this fact, but apparently the reason that spam 
is really popular in certain areas is that these were a lot of island communities that still practice cannibalism. And there was just this phrase, I can't remember where it's from, it stuck with me, is that spam is the meat product that most uh, eerily resembles the tang of human meat. So if you've ever ate spam, you know what human tastes like. By God, we're delicious. Uh, uh, (laughs) Well, maybe um, they've got a side of people fritters on the menu, you know. I will tell you from a biomedical background, in the New Guinea Islands, this is why they had uh, a bad case of Kuru, Mm -hmm. because they were eating the infected meat of their relatives. Right. Kuru is a prion disease. It's basically, it's a similar family of... Uh, infectious agents as Mercow disease. Right. Human uh, spongiform encephalitis. Yeah. yeah. I'm so proud I remembered what the SE and BSE stood for. <laughs> it's well known. A lot of people can tell you, like, humans taste like pork. That's why in certain languages, human meats refer to as long pork. Yeah. I also, it just reminded me, there's an episode of a series called Dragon Ball Z Abridged, which is, they've taken the Dragon Ball Z series and then they've shortened it and parodied it. So it's not five episodes for one fight of people going, come on! No, it's not. It's also obviously quite self-aware and taking the piss out of the series. Yeah. But the pig character, whose name I can't remember, is at one point asking... Chelsea, like, what did you make this ramen? Oh, it's a little, like, spring and onion shallots and pork. <laughs> and then he's like, I taste delicious. Uh, but you just reminded me of that. I taste delicious. Maybe that's what they've rebranded the uh, the Cornish pasty things to. There's this big thing of a, cor- a Cornish pasty. It's got, like, a mock face. And the name of the new restaurant is I Taste Delicious. Yeah. There we go. We'll go for that then. All right. Well, do you want to hear what the AI had for their higher stakes? Because I very much doubt it was that. Yeah, I think we've gone very left field here. Lily and Jack arrive at his cottage, where they meet his friends, Chloe, Brad, Tara, and Kyle, who are also staying there for the weekend. They seem friendly and welcoming, but Lily soon notices that they are hiding something. She discovers that they are all part of a cult that worships Satan and that they plan to sacrifice her as part of a ritual. She also learns that Jack is their leader and that he lured her to Devon with the promise of money and romance. I don't mind better. If you don't like supernatural horror, I think the AI is writing exactly the kind of movie that you would hate at the moment. Not necessarily, um, because just because it's a supernatural cult doesn't mean that the film is actually supernatural in its... Right, exactly. In real life, there are cults. In real life, there's not the supernatural... It doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that if they believe in something that it's going to be true within the, the fiction of yeah. the, the their story, but we will see. I like the fact that they've gone from this date to this place where there's lots of cannon fodder for the slasher movie. Here are their four friends. They're all going to be killed. This is my prediction for what is going to happen with the AI later. With the AI, when you mentioned those names, I said, yeah, they sound like they're all going to die. Yeah. To us, I wasn't expecting. They, they, they may be as well be a family with the last name Redshirt. I think. Yeah, but what it's done that I've not expected is make them all a cult. So that one's caught me off guard. I thought it was going to go with, and they're all going to get slowly picked off one by one, sort of thing. But well, it seems that all of them are part of a cult, and she's the only one that isn't. 
maybe it is a reverse slasher movie, as in that she's she'll be the person picking off the cult members. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Like the uh, the babysitter uh, one on two. Yes. Uh, yeah. Killer Queen, I think, was the sequel, wasn't it? Yeah, Killer Queen was the sequel. I love Samara Weaving. Like, I was talking about films that I recommend that not enough people have seen. Have you seen Guns Akimbo? Is that the one with... Uh, d- um, Daniel Radcliffe. Daniel Radcliffe gets his guns stapled to his hand because he's a online troll and he gets put in a death match. Yeah. I haven't watched it. I have a very soft spot for silly action films like... Um, do you ever watch Crank with Jason Statham? I'm familiar with the franchise... Because I remember in my teenage years, a friend of mine enthusiastically saying, he gets a blowjob in the car because he has to keep his heart going. Yeah. Didn't necessarily appeal to me, Crank. Guns of Kimbo actually does sound quite interesting. A lot of Daniel Radcliffe films, I think, sound quite... That he's done since... That he's done outside Harry Potter generally sound interesting. I do recommend it. If you like dumb action films, Guns Akimbo, I think, is on Amazon and is, is good. The one that, Boss Level is pretty good as well. The other one that I want to watch that he's been in is the Swiss Army Man, just fighting courts. It's good. It's weird. I prefer everything, everywhere, all at once from them, but you can definitely draw a parallel back because the Daniels who directed that, that was their previous film they did, Swiss Army Man. Everything, everything all at once was a great film and I, as a absurdist comedian i absolutely adore that film any, any movie where you can have a three minute scene of uh, two rocks talking. two rocks with googly eyes each other talking to each other is fantastic uh mm. yeah great movie and swift army man is fun as well not as good but still very much them and they did the music video for um turn down for what which is a hilarious music video if you've got three minutes i recommend that you watch that as well uh-huh. So let's move on to the next section, which is the Dark Knight of the Soul. The Dark Knight of the Soul. So, what can we do to turn the screws on our Sweeney, Todd, Cornish, pasty lovers? I mean, I'm going to go for the obvious one, which is the parole officer comes in yep. on one night and they have to kill him. But obviously, because no witnesses, they try and talk to him. They try and make excuses. They try and explain what has happened to Beatrice. They try. No, no, you tell them, Harold. Maybe at that point we reveal that Harold has been dead all along and that Beatrice had killed him uh, to take over, popped him in the chair and had a motor in the bottom of it keeping it moving Um, as a a nice little thing. I don't think we need that as an end reveal. I feel more like taxidermied Harold, if we're going to go with that angle, but not quite what I was going for. I think it's still funny for him to actually still be alive. That was my joke. If you don't like it, you don't have to have it. It's not one of the five prompts. I would much rather Harold is alive and then you can work in the pom-poms. Harold is alive. Harold's alive. He's like, yep, they did it. When he's nearly convinced the parole officer, which then leads to a hilarious chase sequence. But then obviously gets more horrifying as it goes on. Have they set the murders up now? Or is Siri still insistent that she only kills somebody once every 23 days? The murders are still like semi-regular sort of thing. But this is sort of the, oh, flip, we've killed someone that's traceable now. His last words could be, if I don't report in, people are coming. Yeah. It could even be that you sent a text message 
so that the people that are coming aren't just the police. He rats out Desmond to his old, to dr- his old drug buddies. I actually think some of the drug buddies should appear earlier on in the film. I think there should be an old drug dealer victim and Florence Pugh's like, no, protect Desmond. The murder that he witnessed earlier on, the first reason that he realised that Florence Pugh was on his wavelength, was somebody who had been stalking him because he had killed his brother or whatever, he had ruined this person's life, and he was out for revenge, and Florence Pugh had killed him. But at this point, we have a situation where the police are coming, the old drug buddies are coming, and the people from this family are coming to revenge the two sons. Yeah, that. I think there should also be a car chase sequence as they're getting away, and they do a Thelma and Louise it's obviously in Devon, so it's not as impressive because it's not like over a Great Canyon. We can build towards that. That seems more like something on the finale. The fact that they're here in the dark night of the soul, where they know everyone is coming to get them, and it's very unlikely we can escape. I think we leave them here. I'm going to up it a bit. So obviously he's preparing it normally. Okay. She's pretending for like a last stand sort of thing, sort of think of a hot fuzz sort of, or Shaun of Dead boarding up the windows getting a shotgun out, ready right. to do a shootout. I mean, if you want to throw salt in the wound, they've been feeding human meat. Maybe there is this outbreak of uh, Kuru within the village. They've all got this infectious spongiform encephalitis disease that has turned them rabid. Nah. There's cops, there's drug dealers, there's a tooled-up family, and there's legally distinct from but still approximating zombies. Yeah, sure, let's go with that. Uh, I feel like that's a hat on a hat, but I want to see what the AI has made. Lily is captured and tied up in the basement, where she sees the corpses of Mrs. Potts and other victims. She realizes that she has been betrayed by Jack and that she has no way out. She loses hope and resigns herself to her fate. No. That sounds crap. Like, I I like the plot reveal of the other victims. Uh, I give up. No. Better. Technically speaking... It's a dark night of the soul. I am quite glad of our hats on hats on hats because it certainly seems more impressive. So let's move on to the next section, which is getting it together. Getting it together. They're boarded up in the tortured dungeon pasty shop. They've got Harold, who is looking generally nonplussed by the dead um, parole officer. Yeah, that's, uh, that's what I want. A man nonplussed by death. So, obviously, it's going to be hordes of things coming at them. They're going to fight off. He's going to, you know, still be slowly packing, like, really neatly and slowly. His personality, she's going to be sort of total badass, shooting people, stabbing them. Are we going to have an evil dead, you know, Ash in the the tool shed tooling up sequence or hot fuzz when they ripped off that bit of evil dead of Ash tooling up in the shed sequence? Or are we having um, hatchets and... Yeah, yeah, booby traps, it's she like... She rips the gas canister off the wall and, you know, she's making a makeshift flamethrower, she's... It's Florence Pugh doing Rambo, basically. But then, obviously, it's like, there's too many, so he's just, like, getting the car. Does she have any guns, just because I want to make a Florence pew-pew-pew joke? Uh, yeah, she's pew-pewing quite a lot. Um, <laughs> she's also going stab-stab-stab quite a bit. How are they going to escape, and where are they going? He's obviously set up the car, and she says, no, she already set up a car. So his is sort of like a normal car. She has made an exact replica of the Dawn of the Dead chainsaw car. Right, but that's in her garage. 
which is at, behind her shop that's on the other side of the street, right? Yep, obviously they have to fight their way through that one. They are going to fight their way through to the other tea shop, come and scone, to get on the deathmobile that she's made A-team style in her back garage so that they can then mow through everyone and to freedom. Yeah, right. yeah, that's they're getting it together. That's their plan of action. Uh, we'll see how that works out in the finale. But let's see uh, what the AI had for their getting it together section. Lily manages to free herself from her bonds and escapes from the basement. She grabs a pair of cheerleaders' pom poms from Tara's luggage and uses them as weapons to fight off her attackers. She kills Chloe, Brad, and Tara, but is wounded in the process. I appreciate that the AI has worked in the pom poms as being a key element of the plot. Quite how you use a pom-pom as a weapon is something I don't necessarily understand. Blinded someone temporarily and then kicked them into a roaring fire. That's one. There's two other deaths, I guess, with one of the pom-poms. Choked them. Choked them, forced it down her throat for the esophagus. They're made of polyester. She sets it on, she sets the last one on fire throws it at the head of somebody, they burst flame. There we go. Because, you know, Hollywood physics doesn't make sense. In slasher movies, it doesn't. Was it Jack Frost where he kills somebody by stabbing a carrot through the back of their head or something? I, I think a precedent has been set for for, for dodgy slasher movie um, logic. Jack Frost, that's the one with um, Michael Keegan is a snowman, right? There were two Jack Frosts. One is right, that okay. one, which is a family comedy. The other one is a really terrible horror movie, but it's exactly the same concept, except a serial killer comes back to life as a snowman. Right, no, I was just trying to think, like, I remember a completely different film there. They have exactly the same name. Let's move on to our next section then, which is the finale. Finale. I will remind you that you have not yet mentioned the pom-poms. The pom-poms will come. That's fine. I'm going to tell you the honest, I was going to put the pom-poms in the finale, so she's revealed that she's got tickets and ways to actually get out in case things went alright. They go to the US. She's footlighting as a um, cheerleading instructor. There are two pom-poms. So you were going to sort of take the, the ending from weird science, essentially? Yeah. My idea is this, all right? And we can come back to that in the final image if you don't like this idea. We have all of the infected townsfolk coming up, right? Initially, it seemed that our murderers were the problem. Then the problem appeared to be the the drug dealers. But really, the problem has been these infected people that have come up and through. They're trying to fight off all of these people. And there's this big three-way fight. It seems that they've got through, but it's then they're confronted by the feuding family who have got them cornered. At the very last minute, Harold notices that one of the dead people on the floor is an infected girl in a cheerleader's outfit with pom-poms. Harold grabs the pom-poms, waves them towards himself. He stood... In between where they are, he manages to get a horde of infected to take out the feuding family and then runs away, but gives Desmond and Siri time to escape to the deathmobile. I think we should put that in as well. Okay. At least if that happens, there's some motivation for her becoming a cheerleading coach later, right? Yeah. 
We've already gone to the final image. I will right? say, though, I think at some point while Harold is cheerleading, there should be a reference to American Beauty. Right, okay. Just because that's going to amuse me. You can have that, and maybe this is her moment of inspiration. Mm. She looks and she sees Harold waving the pom-poms, and we go into slow motion as the infected are ripping chunks out of the family, the family is shooting guns and blowing chunks out of the infected, and we see from her perspective blood and gore and viscera flying through the air, but the way that the light catches it, it almost looks like roses falling down around Harold as he's doing the cheerleading. Yep. Yeah, Is that well, a nice enough nod, or do you just want a picture of a plastic blag floating around in the background? No, I was referring to the Kevin space. He was getting the hots for the cheerleader reference, but I mean, if you want to chuck in the plastic bag as well. When they take off in the deathmobile, they can set a plastic bag flying in the air. This, this small moment of beauty against all of the gore and viscera of this town they've entirely decimated. I like that. Through all of the various... Uh, people that have wronged them, the head of the family that really wanted to get them because they killed the two sons between them, gets splatted by the deathmobile as the car drives off into the sunset yeah. for our finale. I'm happy with that. Let's uh, see what the AI had for their finale. Lily confronts Jack in the living room, where he is preparing the ritual. He tells her that he loves her and that he wants her to join him in his dark quest. He offers her a choice to die or to become his bride. Lily refuses both options and attacks him with the pom-poms. They engage in a fierce battle, during which Lily manages to stab Jack in the heart with a knife. She has really gone out and out with the pom-poms here. She's killed three people with them. She's killed Jack with them as well. They're, they're charred, they're covered in blood and, you know, the spit from where one person is choked on them. I guess if you have burning plastic and blood and spit thrust in your face, that might distract you for long enough to get stabbed in the heart by a knife. I'm getting mixed messages from this cult leader. Yeah. But then I think that may be kind of the point. Maybe there'll be a reveal that actually she is insane. They were just nice people. But she thought that, and she's become the pom-pom killer. This is this is her new thing. She's like a, a cheerleader version of Jason or Freddy, something like that. If that is the reveal... I'll be very happy. I doubt it's the reveal. <laughs> no, unfortunately, it's not a scary door episode. All right, well, let's move on to the the final image, because you, you have this clearly in your mind. Final image. She's doing cheerleading practice. Um, Desmond's still doing the meat business. How does this encapsulate his growth throughout? Previously, he felt that he couldn't escape his past. He's escaped his past of being a drug dealer by becoming a serial killer. Right. That's the escape. Earlier on, he was in the tea place and he was being reminded of his own life and it was really upsetting him. Mm. I mean, it could be that they're just biding their time. They haven't started the meat business up again yet, but there's a sort of a glint in his eye. He looks at the calendar. You know, there's one day left until it's the 23rd. He has a gleam in his eye. But finally, he's found a zest for life again, but it comes through killing. That's happening. That's the montage. She's cheerleading instructor to raise funds. He's at a construction site for his American-based Cornish pasty, Devonian-based originated pasty shop. Yeah. Uh, there's some kind of cheeky name 
in reference to cannibalism. Eat yourself sick. Yeah, something like that. They look for fat people. They can come and eat for free. They feed them up like foie gras. And then, you know, they've got the really fat Americans and one of those will last enough for, for a whole month or 23 days until she has to kill it again. Pig out on the pigs or something. Exactly. Uh, or just pig out. How about calling the restaurant? That's a little bit of me. Uh, uh. What has happened to Harold in the aftermath of this town being destroyed? I think he's just around town. I think he's still there, nonchalantly. Yep. His armchair has been replaced by a, a throne of bones. He's ruling over the, that quiet Devonshire town as a new warlord with all of the infected following his motions when he uses his pom-poms. I don't know. I mean, I like that image. I like the image of just that he was... His chair is still there. He's just there also. Maybe like our first shot of the entire movie was him sitting in the chair and then it pulled back out to where we had Desmond doing the washing up. And this time he's still there sitting in his chair in front of the fireplace and then it pulls back and the whole town is tea shop has been destroyed and then there's just like bodies piled up and fires everywhere in the distance that's more the image i was going for yeah all right cool i also like the idea of him you may be going about nonchalantly with a litter picker as well but sort of trying yeah. to clean up I, th- I think he's been so nonplussed by death or by anything happening the, the idea of him sitting happily in the ru- in the rubble i think is uh, is quite a nice thing to end on yeah, the least amount of lines I think Michael Gammon will have <laughs> ever had to say in a film. But the most amount of cheerleader dancing he's ever had to do. Oh yeah, actually the image of his face as he's doing that actually quite amuses me. <laughs> uh, you can kind of see it. The final image then for the AI was this. Lily survives the ordeal and escapes from the cottage. She runs into the woods, where she finds a police car. She tells them what happened and asks for help. The camera pans out to reveal that the cottage is surrounded by a pentagram made of blood. The screen fades to black as we hear Lily scream. Meh. If they'd have said a gigantic devil jack with horns rises out of the ground, the ritual complete, that would have at least been something. Yeah, no, I'm kind of unimpressed with the AI's ending there. We asked for a slasher movie, it delivered a slasher movie. It's a horribly derivative genre, but I guess it did what it was set out to do. In the least imaginative way uh, possible, but that's not necessarily different from a lot of what Hollywood has done in the genre. Hey, 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 let's give the AI some credit. It did come up with some good ideas. Yes. It just also came up with some very bland, like, come on, Hollywood's done that a lot. I think it also sketched over key details of how pom-poms would be used as weapons. It just said that they were very effective weapons. There are just a couple of things left that we have to do. We have to come up with a title and a tagline for this movie. Okay. I have seen the AI's title. It doesn't necessarily fit with what was there, but it's actually quite a good title for once. They've raised the bar. Oh, yeah? Because it was set in a Devon tea shop. It is called Devon's Screams. Right. Devon's Cream Teas, Devon's Screams. Right. I mean, that's actually quite clever. The tagline is slightly less clever. It just says, some tea parties are to die for, which is a bit blah. I would prefer they're not spilling the tea, they're spilling blood. That's not great, but it's still a a slightly bit better. Unfortunately, I can't give this film an impressive title off the top of my head, beyond of love, drugs and cannibalism. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm very give the people what they want. For a tagline for that, you could have the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. That's actually quite good. I was going to go for love bites. Love is a drug slash bites, but love bites. I think is probably a better title for the movie. All right. The tagline became the title. So there we are. Uh, that is... Love Bites in Devon. Yes, because it would in Devon. So Love Bites in Devon versus Devon Screams. That's the episode. Thank you very much, Stephen. I hope you had fun, even though it was a, a genre you don't necessarily always enjoy. I've made it enjoyable for myself. <laughs> I, I've made something that I would want to make. It's certainly not anything that we've seen before, and that's one of the nice things about this. At least we're coming up with original ideas. You don't get shortlisted for the Malcolm Hardy Award for originality, for sure. Poo. <laughs> that is what happened for my Edinburgh. I was nominated for originality. I nominate that one for originality as well. Do you have anything coming up that people should check you out for, or do you have social media channels for you to follow? I'm doing Favisham Fringe on the 6th, of October. I highly recommend anyone who is able to make it in the Favisham area. My critically acclaimed show, Behavioural Problems, Something Something Autism. It's recommended by British Comedy Guide, nominated for the Malcolm Hardy Award, had great reviews, as well as nominated for the uh, Neurodiverse Awards category for Actually Autistic Excellence. We're also going to be on at the Penn Theatre on the 21st of October. A little further in advance, on the 5th of November, I'm doing the Nottingham Comedy Festival with the same show. So type my name up, Stephen Catling, go on my Twitters, which is MooseFace42, Instagram, Catling Stephen, Facebook, Comedian Catling, I think. Just keep your eyes open for the shows I'm doing. And I'll put all of that stuff in the show notes. So if if you're listening to this on the phone, look at your device, you can do that. Um, So all of those dates and uh, all of Stephen's uh, handles will be on there. Uh, so will all of the, the Comedy Cat stuff. Uh, if you find yourself in Ealing on a Saturday, uh, come to the Comedy Cat. We have uh, 16 comics like me and Stephen and the other people that have appeared on the podcast every week. And if you want to do some stand-up yourself, you can apply on the website. That's all in uh, the show notes. You got anything else you want to add, Stephen? No. Nah. Nah. I think we did well. Yeah. Listen to you next time.